I'm Kate Northrup. And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living. Hi, welcome to the Kate and Mike Show. This is Kate. This is Mike. And today we have a, a pretty different guest on the Kate and Mike show, definitely outside of our usual realm. And I'm really excited to share him with you because he We're mixing cracks it up here. me up. His name is Derek Helper, and he's the founder of socialtriggers.com. He's an expert marketer and entrepreneur who has been featured not only on the Kate and Mike show, but also in Forbes, Inc., Entrepreneur Magazine, The Huffington Post, and more. Yeah, Derek's just like a really smart, funny guy. So I just want to warn you, you might be offended by a few of the things he says, but please just like get your sense of humor on. I think he's hysterical and refreshing. So what did you like best about this conversation, honey? Did you read his bio? Or oh, no. Should I do that? Okay, so yeah. yeah, social, I can't, I didn't think you did. I was just verifying. I was like, I already something. read that part. To right. Start here. So after he's built successful websites, various niches, entertainment, fashion, et cetera, he's focused on what he loves the most, building and marketing businesses. Really, it's marketing. He loves building the business, but it's the marketing piece he really enjoys. You'll find his approach to marketing is effective. He's developed it over a few years and helped him build a few wildly popular websites, one that which has attracted over a million page views in a single day. And Social Triggers was originally created for helping folks build their online business through courses, and it's now transitioned into a software company. So if you have a membership type platform where you're selling courses, or if you, well, you just launched a new product called Zippy Engage, it's about attracting more customers on your website. And so looking at subscribers. And then now he's moving in as well to the personal consumer space with a product called Truvania. Truvani. Truvani, sorry. Truvani Life. TruvaniLife.com. And that is a, they're launching their first health product. And he's partnered with Vani Hari from The Food Babe, or, or who is The Food Babe, as well to bring really clarity and transparency and authenticity to the world when it comes to the health and nutritional side of supplementation, which we've talked a lot about because of our background with USANA. So it was very great to hear that as well, that they're doing something along those lines. And then with the podcast was great. As Kate said, he's very blunt for folks. He's pretty in your face. He's pretty controversial. The part at the end where he talks about parenting might piss you off. Yeah. But it's just hilarious. I love, you know, as a, somebody who I struggle to really like be controversial in any way or say what's on my mind if I feel like it's going to piss somebody off. And Derek just really doesn't care. And he's not unkind, but he just like tells the truth in a really straightforward way. And I find it really funny. So because he's funny about it. He is there's, funny there's about a, it. He's and the biggest thing that we talked a lot about here is. It's being truthful with people, you know, and it's transparency. It's, it's transparency. It's telling people really if like they're making you mad or upset or you feel that they're doing injustice in the world, that's really not helpful. And his biggest thing is why he's considered mm -hmm. controversial around this is because he calls them out, you know, and so we, we dived a lot into that topic. We've dived into his journey to become the businesses that he's created now. And it's cool. He's really smart. I heard his favorite thing, like his ideal day. He said this previously in one of his talks, but it's like sitting at home reading books. So like if he never had to leave his house, he would never want to leave his house because he, and you can tell that he spends a lot of time research, you know, and yes. he's a big researcher. He is like a 
left brain on a stick. Like he is probably the most like left brain person we'll ever have on the podcast in terms of being driven by data and results. Mm -hmm. And so it's like a very different conversation for us. And that's why I enjoyed it so much. So we're going to talk a little bit about his vlog on here. That's how the interview starts. And I just want to kind of give, I've watched not every single one, but there's definitely, he's created one video that he put out. It's about an hour long and which I have not watched yet, but I'm definitely, it's in my queue to watch, but his vlog is very good at giving you details to help you build your company and your business. 100%. It's not like entertainment, you know, like Casey and I said, I've talked a lot about before, but it's his is more entertainment. Derek is very data driven about how to go about building your business. And so that's super helpful. So I would highly recommend looking up social triggers on YouTube and you can find it. So enjoy the episode. Hi, welcome to the Kate and Mike show. This is Kate. This is Mike. And we are here with Derek Halpern, online entrepreneur extraordinaire, though now moving into some really interesting new areas, which I can't wait to talk about. So I first became aware of you, Derek, I think. Was it maybe when you spoke? When you spoke at, did you speak at a Marie RHH Live? I spoke at RHH Live. I think that's when I first became aware of you. Yeah, it was that one, or it could have been that Portland event. I knew about you before the Portland event somehow. Anyway, I've been reading your stuff for years. I think you're hilarious. I'm really smart, actually, also. <laughs> I, you know, I, I kind of hope that almost every time I talk to someone, they lead with like four compliments. Yeah. That's a great way to just open me up to start talking. Yeah. <laughs> I, that was great. You're funny and kind of smart. Yeah, I like it. No, it's true. No, it's true. No, it's, it's very true. It is true. And, yeah. I, you know, I mean, one of the things that we talk about in creating content is that you want to educate, entertain, and inspire. So, you know, you've got those things going. And humor is one of the biggest ones. So, okay, so you've recently started a vlog. Yep. Right? Yeah, I did. In 2018. In 2018. Daily? Yeah, it's daily. I've created more videos this year than I did in three years. How do you keep that up? I know we're not on video right now for this podcast, but you can see the bags under my eyes. That's <laughs> how I keep that up. Uh, it's been a learning experience. <laughs> One of the things that I've learned very early on in my life is the first time you ever do something, it is going to be miserable. It doesn't matter how good you are, how good you think you are. The first episode, we're talking 12 hours <laughs> to film it. Right. Then wow. it gets to 11 hours and 10 hours. And now it gets to a point where we can film an episode if it's an on-site location stuff in like an hour, two hours. And then Mark, my video guy, can edit it up in two hours. So it gets faster. But the real reason why I keep it up is because I made it a commitment. I committed to doing a daily video and I wanted to do it for a year. I might do it for three months. We'll see. But I committed to doing it daily, which means it gets done daily. There's zero chance of it not happening. The only way it doesn't happen is if I'm dead or Mark dies, I guess. Or just five days a week. Seven days. Seven days a week. Every day. And are you recording every day or are you batching some? We record almost every day. Yeah. We sometimes batch. And the big reason why we have to batch is, as you know, I mean, even though I do a daily vlog, there's no way to make money from that vlog. 
it's just building an audience. I just do it because I'm doing this new thing, but I also have the software company and I have the new health product company and it's like three full-time jobs. So sometimes I batch when I know I have to do a, a shoot. Like for example, we have to go to California to do a shoot for our product, our, our health product. And that's going to take up about three or four days. So we'll probably batch knowing that that's coming up, but generally we try to keep it fresh daily. Does your lady ever appear in your vlogs? No. no, actually people would be hard pressed to find her on Facebook or Instagram. And that all started because when we were together, we got tagged. She started getting random messages from people all the time. As soon as he got tagged, she got like 30 messages. She goes, Nope, not about that life. <laughs> Untagged it, made her profile private. And it's been that like, we don't hide it, but it's just not, we don't put it in, in anyone's face, I guess. Yeah. So it's not her thing. I was at uh, I went to a Steve Aoki concert last night. Yeah. And there was a kid in front of me. It was hilarious. People were, he had this wild shirt on like out of control and people were like, yeah. And he's like, what's your name, dude? And he's like, I think we went to high school together the same town. It was this whole conversation, right? Drunk people conversation. Right. Yeah. So he's just like, I'm Jamie. And he's like, what's your Twitter handle? He's like, I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on any social media. He was like, he had to be like 25 years old. He's like, social media is bad for you people. You should stay off of it. Like it was yeah. amazing. It's true. Especially now you say something five years ago and you end up on the news. <laughs> Do you have a story about that? Not one I want to talk about. Okay, great. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about, let's talk about, well, cause you, I mean, actually, I just want to talk about one thing. Can you tell the story of how you got started on the internet? Because I think it's actually really interesting. And I don't know that people know this about you. Yeah. So in the beginning, we're talking 2005. Yeah. Like you were a major pioneer. Yeah. 2005, I wanted to make money. And at this point I was playing poker almost full time and I was really good at it. And I was like, you know what? Poker is not exactly a good lifestyle to lead. <laughs> Online poker or... No, in person, in person. It was interesting because I, I was always bad at online poker, but very good at in-person poker. So anyway, I played in-person poker. Why do you think I, that is? Because uh, I can't read people through the computer. Yeah, that That's the first reason. The second reason is because I don't have patience on the computer. It's very easy to click a button, very hard to push chips in front of you. Yeah. You have more patience when you're dealing with physical objects. Anyway, played poker, not a good lifestyle, got a job, did not like working for people. It was the worst thing in the world. However, what I will say is in that job, I got paid like 10 bucks an hour. And one of the things I learned was negotiating with people and how to get people to install something. They said, hey, Derek, you know, pay $800 for this. I said, okay. And then I made it a game to get it for $600. And I got real good at that. But you can't make money doing that. So I started looking around at this point. I read a website. It was about this guy who did drunk things in college and then wrote about it. And it was hilarious. And I read it almost every day. <laughs> what was interesting is I, I, I interacted in the forum. I, I read the website or whatever. And I accidentally one day clicked the advertise link on his website. And I saw he was getting $500 a week for ads. And it wasn't, maybe it wasn't 500. It was 700. It was about 500 bucks. And I was like, wait a second. This guy does dumb stuff, writes about it, gets ads $500 a week, and there's five ads. That's $2,500 a week. I do dumb stuff all the time. I'm going to do this. So I started my first website where I started to try to publish some of the crazy stuff I did in college as a way to build traffic. I soon found out 
I wasn't that funny. And the stuff I did wasn't really that crazy. It was just drunk kid stuff, basically. Yeah. Okay. I went back to the source. I was like, this guy knows the secret. I'm going to figure out how to make money. I went to his website. I saw a link to a celebrity gossip website. I was like, wait a second. At this point, I'm an expert. I know exactly where to go. Go to the website, click on advertise. They're getting $1,000 a week for ads. And I was like, that makes sense. I do dumb stuff. Celebrities do dumber stuff. I'm going to write about that. Started my celebrity gossip site. And then that was in March 2006. By the time I finally stumbled on that, by February 2007, I had just gra- I graduated college. In February 2007, I started to get a ton of traffic. We made like twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars in twenty-eight days. I'm wow. like a month out of college. What What was the content? This was about an American Idol star that decided to take her clothes off and release fake naked pictures. And what was interesting about that news story was. It was obviously planned. What most people don't know about gossip during that 2007 era, every celebrity had a sex tape. Every celebrity had accidental naked pictures. Every cele- and they were always coming from like C, D, E list celebrities. And they did that mainly because it skyrocketed Kim Kardashian to fame. Right. Mm. Okay. I actually know this story because I had Kim Kardashian on the phone. Right before, like right around her sex tape scandal. And she wanted to talk about her new, uh, it was some new store, like clothing store she was opening that I don't think was doing that well. But I actually talked to her on the phone. That's how big the gossip site was. I got Kim wow. on the phone. But anyway, that's how it got started, right? I shortly found out that gossip is not for me. Even though I'm cynical and I'm rude and maybe a little loud, I don't really like to wake up every day and make fun of people, unless they're stupid. But generally, that wasn't for me. And that's when I kind of started to explore different avenues of business. (laughs) (laughs) And then when did socialtriggers.com start? So I started 2005, 2006. I started social triggers. I actually registered a domain name in 2009. So I had the idea for social triggers in 2009, but like most people, you know, you have an idea, you don't pursue it. And I always share that with people because I launched it officially in March of 2011. Okay. That's two years later. This is a common story for a lot of people when they have an idea and they sit on it for two years. And I sit there and think back, like people always ask, like, what's your biggest regret? My biggest regret is the fact that I had the idea for that business in 2009 and I waited until 2011. Right. What, but it was, you, what were you doing while you were waiting? Oh, so many things. So during that point, <laughs> I, just, I read a book end of 2007. I read a book about Jack Welch. I think it was winning or one of the autobiographies. I'm pretty sure it was winning. And it talked about how Jack started at a company and worked his way up to become CEO of GE and then took it to the, one of the best companies in the world. I was like, you know, I want to do that. I want to go be CEO. This is like the journey of my life. I see something that I think is interesting or fun or cool and I go do it. So I read this book about Jack Welch. I'm like, I'm going to go be CEO of a big company joined a financial institution to try and go be CEO of a big company. Really? Yeah. Wow. What was that like? Uh, the first year was great. They promoted me a bunch. They gave me a bunch of achievement awards because I was working endless hours. I learned a lot about corporate politics. I learned, for example, that 
you know, they have a tie policy where you have to wear a tie every day. Well, apparently it's inappropriate to take that tie off if you're sitting at your desk. Like I learned important stuff like that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so you already can tell I didn't last long, but I'm stubborn. I lasted two and a half years. That's, I mean, that's a long time. It's a long time. And I, I knew I hated it. For two and a half years. I hated it. Well, I started end of 2007, even though I was making a bunch of money on the internet, I decided to get the job started like 2008. I knew I was done in 2009, which is when I registered social triggers, but I wasn't ready to give up yet. And I lasted till 2010. Okay. And then I quit. As soon as I quit, I had a few friends that had a software company and they're like, Oh, wait a second. You have nothing to do now. And they hired me as a consultant for their software company. I did that from 2010 to like 2013, started Social Triggers in 2011, and now here I am. And now here you are. And now Mike just told me that you've decided to stop like having courses. Interesting and, story. Right? I yeah. didn't hear that story. Yeah, so do I. Can you talk, can you talk about not doing courses? So it's not that I don't want to not do courses. We, okay. we, we ended all new course new development. Course. Yeah, because I got his emails and was oh, selling okay. courses. Right? I get it. So, and the reason why we ended new course development is twofold. The industry changed in the course world right now, and no one's talking about this. But I really want to talk about it. <laughs> no I one is mentioning. What, like, it was last, it was, yes. in, it was 2016, and I said in yes. five years, I want to be done with courses because things are changing, like just the direction. Yep. So I knew courses weren't going to last forever. And that's why I went into software. We started our first software company, Zippy Courses. We have a new software that we just created called Zippy Engage, which actually you should use on your website, but we could talk about that another time. We, we can talk about well, it all day long. Yeah, talk anyway, about so we'll have a Derek Halpern consulting experience. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> we diversified in the software, but then about a year and a half ago, everyone in the business industry, especially started to see a decline in course sales. No one mentions it though, which is interesting. Like I know so many people that they were not making as much money. They were laying people off, but they were not talking about the course industry decline. And what's interesting about this is that everyone saw it coming. All of a sudden the barrier to entry is almost zero. So when you have an influx of more people having creating courses, now that more people are picking their favorite experts and they're learning. So that, that happened. Now, what's interesting is, is that the way you combat this is by creating more courses. And what we noticed specifically that new courses when launched would do very well. New courses would do well. Relaunching old courses would not do well. So now this is an interesting dynamic to notice. When we noticed that happening, new courses did well, relaunches of old courses didn't do well. Our business model was essentially screwed. And here's why. We don't believe in rushing out courses. When we create a course, it takes six months, eight months, 12 months of building the ideas, putting together the videos, editing stuff. By the time it's done, we spend a quarter million dollars or more on just putting together a course. And if we're in this world now where we have to rush out new courses, our courses are not going to be as good as we want them to be. And it's just not something that we want to do. We could downplay the cost of development. That's part of it. Or we could just continue relaunching old courses that weren't doing that well. So it became this interesting dynamic where I didn't want to kind of cater to this idea of just rushing out new stuff all the time. It's just not my style. Yeah. 
we decided to focus on the software part of the business for social triggers. And in addition to that, we basically focus on the software part of the business. And then I also partnered with a friend to launch a health product line. Regarding the software piece, what is yeah. different about the software piece than the course aspect? So, well, the barrier to entry is much higher in software. Right. And use any piece of bad software and you'll see why. Yep. Yep. So you don't uh, have the competition. Competition's harder. There is more competition, wow. a lot, and you have, you're competing with VC money and all that right. stuff, and we're trying to not, I'm not trying to talk to VCs ever. I had a boss once, I'm never gonna have it again. But, you know, we have these different problems, but it's not as easy to build. There's a moat, if you will. Yes. Right, there's no moat in courses. That doesn't mean it's a bad business, it doesn't mean you can't make money doing it, it doesn't mean any of that. It just means that over the long term, the moat is not really there. And I don't want to be in a business with no moat. Yeah. You want to be playing with the bigger fish. Yes. Yeah. How long did it take you? I mean, I'm just curious. How long did it take you from concept to actually being done with the software to launch for the yeah. first time? About eight months. It was a long oh. time. It was, a, it was it's not crazy though. The reason why is I partnered with a developer. A lot yeah, of yeah. people who want to think about mm. software, especially marketers, I hate marketers. They ruin everything. <laughs> they suck. <laughs> yeah, they're like, they, they just like, oh, you know, I want to do software and they'll, and they'll try to outsource some software development. They'll make a horrible piece of software and then they launch this software giving everyone who makes software a bad name that isn't a software developer. And it's because they outsourced it. They don't staff it right. It's just mm-hmm. disgusting yeah. to me. Length of time Software development could really, really go out of, go, go, go crazy if you don't have clear spec, clear deliverables. And one of the things that I always refer people to is something known as uh, agile development or scrum. And this is a way to ensure that software development doesn't go nuts. Yeah. And that's like that book. Yeah. Well, there's a bunch of books on it. You could go to Mike Cohn has a website called Mountain Goat Software, where he talks a lot about agile development. Okay, cool. I wanted to know, how did the idea come about for Z- it's Zippy courses, right? Yeah. And like, Most, what did you see that was missing in the market that you thought, no, I could fix this? It was more like, hey, I sell courses. I hate my options. Okay. Like you just didn't like the options for running courses. Yes. I hate my options. I can do better. And we did better. Cool. And that was basically how that started. I mean, I always tell people that if you're friends with me for any short amount of time, you'll know very quickly that I have zero patience. And this zero patience turns out to be a software development asset because a lot of people are very forgiving to their own products. I'm not. And I noticed that I have this thing called the ah, screw it moment, right? Which is the moment when someone starts using a piece of software or technology, a website, they're trying to do something and all of a sudden it gets too hard and they're like, ah, Screw it, and they close it down the app. Yep. So one of the things that I think about when I'm building software, especially, is how do you find these ah screw it moments and how do you eliminate them? And since I'm such an impatient ass, I find them pretty quickly. Yes. How has that impatient ass gotten you in trouble, bro? This is for a different call. No, okay, let, let, let me start at the top. <laughs> because I know the benefits of this. 
I'm not, I would say you're probably more extreme. You can acknowledge that yeah. than I am to this degree, but there is but that. You're really impatient. Who? You. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, would, I, you're I actually mean, really, you're super patient with Penelope, more patient than I am with our two and a half year old, but in other things, very impatient. Let's just put it like this. I am a very charming person for the first like five minutes that you meet me. I become intolerable after five minutes. If you get past that five minutes, then we're usually friends forever, right? Now let's talk about trouble. This is not really trouble, but this is an example of my impatience. I need a dentist. And one of the things that's notorious for dentist offices is that when you go to a dentist office, you have an appointment for one o'clock, they don't see you at one o'clock. You just sit there and screw off for 40 minutes and there's no Wi-Fi, and it's always in a basement in Manhattan, so you have no service, whatever. So I, when I was looking for a dentist, I called up 15 dentist offices. I was like, hey, look for a new dentist. Here's what I need. This is what I want. If I have a one o'clock appointment, are you seeing me at one o'clock? They said, well, you know, we tried it. I was like, that's not my question. My question is, <laughs> if I have a one o'clock appointment, is your office the type of office to see me at one o'clock? Well, I wouldn't. I was like, hang up the phone, right? That person on the other side of it thinks I'm an ass. But I think they're an ass for scheduling a one o'clock appointment and making me sit there for an hour. It's true. It's disrespectful. Did you find a good dentist that you love? I did. He okay. was actually ended up being two or three times the price. Because okay, I was going to say, I have a phenomenal dentist in New York that is on Central Park South, and they give you reflexology while you get your teeth cleaned, and they're right on time. Is that to cover up for the late timing? No. No, no oh. you go in, they take you. It's <laughs> lovely. It's, it's actually called Denta Spa. And so okay. you kind of like get spa treatments while you get your teeth well, cleaned. Anyway, nice. for anyone listening. Uh, <laughs> but it's true. It's yeah. totally true. Like it, the whole medical system in general, and then we can segue into your health product because I do want to know about that. But the whole medical system in general is really disrespectful to patients. Yeah, yeah they are. I mean, partly doctors are known to be some of the worst business owners and investors on earth. Hmm. Yep. And the reason why is because they don't know what the hell they're doing. They spent 20 years trying to understand the human body. And you know what? Thankfully, they do it. I love doctors for doing the things that they do. And, the, you know, when I had that heart procedure a few years ago and I went in at 6 a.m. and I was out the same day after they burned stuff out of my heart. You know what? I am so thankful for doctors doing the things that they do. But, man, can you just stay on time? <laughs> no, it's the, yeah, the doctors are wonderful. Yeah. And so are the nurses. All the people are wonderful. It's the system that's problematic. Mm -hmm. So you've partnered with your friend to yes. launch this health product. Yes. Has health always been a, like, a, I don't know, two years ago, maybe a year ago. I don't know. I listened to you t on James Wedmore's podcast talking about walking, yeah. <laughs> which was amazing. <laughs> are you still walking? Well, not in the winter. Okay. In the summer, I do hit between 10 and 20,000 steps a day, though. You started a daily vlog. There's no walking anymore. <laughs> well, I got to walk around, but it's been way too cold out. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, no, I still, I, when it's nice out, I usually hit 10 to 20,000 steps a day. I try to walk everywhere. And it, the reason why I do that is because it's good for heart health. And I had the heart thing. So that's part of the reason why I got obsessed with walking. Now, with regards to health, I've kind of had an on-again, off-again relationship with health and fitness. And, you know, I was much more into health when I was younger than it kind of, you, you know, I spent 
from 2013 to 2016, all I did was work. I was building social triggers, starting a software company, and I woke up every day, work, 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 work. That's all I did. And then health kind of slides. Then I kind of got a handle on it again in 2016, had a trainer, started working out. I still work out pretty regularly now. But yeah, that's probably the genesis of my health. But also, we always eat organic food. We always eat, you know, we try to avoid chemicals. There's a lot of research that suggests it could be safe. There's a lot of research that suggests it could not be safe. To be honest with you, I don't like risking it, right? So we just choose to eat organic. And this was a natural progression for us to launch an organic company that tries to get rid of all the chemicals. And that's why I partner with someone who believes in all these things as well. Because at the end of the day, whether you agree with the research or not, I think it's probably prudent to avoid chemicals. That's the first thing. The second thing is, again, whether you agree with research or not, um, whether it's dangerous or not, I believe there should be transparent labeling on products. So again, this is a lot of, you know, there's a lot of controversy around this, this topic of chemicals and food and all that stuff and whether or not it's dangerous and, you know, the dose makes the poison is the quote. And I get it. Just let me know that it's there. Yeah. Very easy. Mm-hmm. Well, if not, you don't think it's a problem, why do you have a problem putting it on the label? Right. That's exactly it. Right. And I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theory. I left my tin hat in the other room. But <laughs> if it's not dangerous, why not let us know? Totally. I mean, it makes no sense otherwise. Yeah. Can you talk about who you partnered with? Yeah, I, yeah I, can't, with, I can't imagine why not. I, I'm assuming you're going to be the face of the company. Is that no, right? No. <laughs> Definitely not me. My business partner is Vani Hari from Food Babe. She's she, awesome. Yeah, she's great. I met her back in like 2012, and I really liked what she was up to. She had, she had like 5,000 fans, like super small blog. And I found it because I was researching this stuff for myself. And I was like, oh, that's mm-hmm. interesting. Let me learn more. And then she kind of went and she blew up, launched a best-selling book, basically got big companies to change and, and things like that. And then it's, you know, I'm happy to see that the growth worked. And then we always kind of talked about potentially creating a business together. And then we just decided to say, screw it, let's go for it. That was kind of what happened. Why was it like, cause you, you're going into the supplement industry, right? That was our first product. Our first yes. product was turmeric. Correct. Uh, and that's for sale now. Uh, it's available for pre-order. It goes on sale in February 26th. Okay. This will be out after that. So that's perfect. What's the website people can go to? It'll be at truvanilife.com. So T-R-U-V-A-N-I life.com. Okay. And of course it's in the show notes too. Yeah. Now, how is your business? Because you were in courses, like a lot of online stuff. And then now software is still online and now you're transitioning into physical goods. Yes. One of the things I learned very quickly is that at the end of the day, the thing that makes me most excited is creating great marketing around great products, right? Find a good product that has a great benefit, a great thing, and then help get it into the world. That is fun for me. Creating courses I did because I like to teach, but what really fires me up is creating marketing. And that's what I get to focus on, is focusing on marketing. And one of the things that I noticed with Social Triggers is that we built a great company of people who are great at creating content, great at marketing. What if we 
apply it to a consumer product, a consumer product that one, I think the world needs right now and a consumer brand. I think the world needs right now, because right now we have this world of like all these companies that just don't want to be transparent with their ingredients. And even what a popular bar company out there that is very transparent with their ingredients, they only list the good stuff. And then you kind of flip it over and you start seeing all this up. Like, why wasn't that on the front of the package? Mm. And it's just like, why don't they do that? So I think we need a more transparent world. So I believe in the mission and I happen to be good at sharing that mission. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes total sense. So has it been like difficult? Obviously like the marketing piece, you know, you're a marketer, you're a marketer. You can market anything that's good. Right. But like, as far as the logistics moving from delivering something digitally to delivering something physically, is that like, are you involved in that aspect of the business and has it been tricky? I'll tell you the trickiest part of this specific business is sourcing ingredients. Yeah. Vani, you know, and this is one of the reasons why I'm happy to be partnered with her. She really has high standards when it comes to ingredient sourcing. If there are a hundred ingredient sources, we could use like two of them. Right. Mm-hmm. So it becomes very difficult to find sourcing for our stuff, but that's also our unique difference. We're putting in that work to find that sourcing. And that's why this product I believe is better than pretty much every other product on the market because we're not going to hide the sourcing. We're not going to trick people. We're going to find the sourcing. We're going to test it internally. We're going to send it to a third party and test it there too and make sure no one's lying to us. And then we have a good product and we're going to do this for all our batches. You know what I mean? So it becomes great for us to do this and I can get behind it, but it's been difficult with the sourcing aspect. And then from the, because with software, you know, you're paying upfront to have a developer develop something before the money comes in. But now, is there a much more substantial upfront cost? Of course. You know, coming into this. Because it's all this actual stuff. Just inventory, right? I mean, you buy inventory, you don't get inventory for several weeks. And that's money that you need upfront to invest in inventory. Then you have to kind of time the inventory and stuff like that. So there's a lot of logistics behind it. They always say Amazon is not, Amazon's a logistics company. Yes. Right. And that's what they mastered. I see why. And I now see the value of that. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've had ideas for a million different physical products, but every time I'm like, how the hell are we going to get that to people? Like, I'm like, you know, you need a warehouse and all yeah. this stuff. And so we haven't I mean, done it Danielle, yet. Danielle Laporte explained yeah. to me once about her planner. Like oh, it was geez. her uh, president of her company explained to me how she gets her planner yep. for each year. And then the process of how they have to get them done by like April to get, you know, so and then intense. you think about anything, you think about clothing rollouts, you think about anything that you see in the stores now. Yeah. Like there's lawnmowers rolling out in Maine right now, but we're still snow on the ground. Right. And it's yep. just like, who, and then I work backwards from there. I'm like, how long have they been preparing for this lawnmower to be made to show up here in February? Yep. So look, look at it like this. If you want to start a business, you just start selling courses, start selling consulting, freelance services, stuff like that. I don't recommend anyone do this. I didn't get into this business in the physical product world because it's about money or business. I did it because I believe in the mission. Right. Right. And that's what I've noticed about this type of physical product stuff. There's a lot of work that goes into it. You have to really believe in what you're building to push through so many, ah, screw it moments, as they say, as I say, I just quoted myself. That's kind of obnoxious. (laughs) 
It's good. You can said, always toot your own yeah, word on our Said on by our Derek podcast. Halpern, quoted by Derek Halpern. Let's say, <laughs> nailed it. Doesn't get better than that. So you have, you have to really believe in it. And if you believe in it, I think it's worth the fight. And that's why we're doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm excited for you. I think it's so needed. We've, I mean, we've been in the supplement industry. My family's been in the supplement industry since I was 12. So I know a lot about it. And it sounds like you're doing it in a totally above board way. And I just want to congratulate you because it's so easy to go cheap and nobody it's, ever knows. It's huge what you're doing. And yeah, well done. Do you know what I found that's really interesting? Is one of the big things that I've noticed is that when I saw organic food, it's more expensive, right? Yeah. I'm like, ah, these organic companies are cleaning up. It's not true. The no. costs are more expensive. Doing the right thing is really expensive. The profit margins are like non-existent in organics. Yep. You literally make less money going organic. Yeah. And I, it's like, it's, it's interesting to hear this because I used to think they just made a lot of money. That's not actually the truth. So that was a big insight for me to know that if you're buying from an organic company and you see the prices increase, it's very easy for you to assume they're cleaning up. They're actually not. Mm-hmm. And the more stringent rules they have on sourcing, the less profit there is. And at the other end of the spectrum, it's about doing the right thing. So that's kind of what we're focusing on. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you've also, like you said, you started, well, you started selling gossip and then sort of, and then, and then into the, you know, courses world and then the software world. And, you know, you've learned a lot along the way. So it's not like you just started out with this altruistic, like, yeah, I'm going to make the world a better place through health and supplements and, and do it this way. Like, you know, I'm not saying that you can't start out with altruism. I mean, we certainly have had altruism as a, you know, vein throughout our entire company, but like, it's great that you are translating all the success you've had into going into this venture where you are doing the right thing because, because you've, you've built this thing and now you can. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. right? I mean, if it was, <laughs> if, I wanted to make, would do that. if I wanted to make more money, what I would do is I would find other people's experts and I would publish them. Mm-hmm. That would be the fastest way to make the most amount of money. Find like 10 more Derek's, take them from 50,000 a year to 2 million a year and do that 10 times, right? That would be another way to do it. To basically, instead of creating a new course myself, give people new faces all the time. Like you could do that route, but it's also like, eh, it's not really about that. It's about finding something that you believe in and the mission comes later. And when it comes to altruism specifically, I, I told you I was a cynic. I actually don't believe altruism exists. Mm. And I think everyone always does something because they're self-interested in the end result of that. And even in, in this, it's like, yeah, we're trying to build a business at the end of the day. But like, really, I just want the products and I want to know the sourcing of the ingredients that I'm eating. For you. So, yeah, for me. So it yeah, helps right. me like I'm solving my own problem. Right. And that's part of the problem also. Yeah. Problem. Don't be afraid to solve something that you think is an issue for you that you might be embarrassed about. <laughs> like zippy courses. You know, one of the main things I hated about my competition. Yeah. When I created a course. You'd have to create a WordPress page to put the video on. And I didn't have a staff at this time. It was just me. I create a page, put a video, create a page, put a video, do this like 47 times. And I was just like, why is this so annoying? One of the first features that we had in Zippy courses is create eight, pa- like, you know, four modules, four lessons per module, one second. 
right? Because I was too impatient to create 47 pages separately. And it makes, it's just like a little feature like that comes out of my hate of, or actually my, my impatience. And then in our new product, we have a thing where it's a, whatever, Zippy Engage is a little website alert to help you add more emails to your email list or direct people to product pages or whatever. And one of the things that I wanted to be easy was I wanted people to have, get a code, put it on their site and see it working within like 20 seconds. Yeah. We nailed it. You could get it up and running in 20 seconds. Now, of course, you could spend another week configuring it, but mm-hmm. everything is like point and click. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a technical person. And it's just like, I give it to someone who's not even familiar with websites and they can figure it out. So it's like, that's the type of stuff that I like to build because I'm impatient and I have no patience. Totally. That's yeah. great. How does the, so I want to, tra- can I transition? Mm-hmm. Is that cool? Derek, I want you to talk more about yourself. The, uh oh. <laughs> how many people do you have working with at social, just social triggers? I don't know, man. Like, with freelancers, with employees, it's like 15. Okay. Okay. How is the, uh, I guess, are you a good manager of these people? Well, define good. Okay. So do you, because it's like, how is your impatience play into, because when you're working with all the people, when you're working with robots, it's great because there's no emotions that are tied in there. But like when it comes to what have you learned as you started social triggers from yourself to now having a team over the time, like how has that changed for you? Yo, Mark, what do you think about me uh, and my impatience and having a team? I'm, at, I'm putting one of my employees on the spot right now. Good, uh, Perfect. Okay. Bring over Mark. <laughs> uh, I think they have a very hands-off management style. Very hands-off management style. Not good for not good for people who need people to like step by step directions. I'm more of a hey, here's what I want, and then you're gonna ask me four times on how to do it, and I want to be like Google it, right? Yeah, I'm not gonna answer your question if I wanted to explain all that. I'll just do it myself. Very hands off. I'm very results oriented. I don't care what times you work. I don't care what days you work. I just care that whatever it is that we're working on is done. I don't care even how you get it done as long as it gets done. And this takes a certain type of person to appreciate. And sometimes if things take longer than I think they should, I'm very quick to be like, you know, why did this take so long? Like, what are you screwing off all day? Like, this is what I'm thinking in my head, but it doesn't always translate well. I actually got an idea. Here's the thing you said, when does my impatience get me in trouble? I was thinking about an example and I got an example. Someone showed me something that they did. And it was like, they did it. It had some okay results. Like, all right, Derek, what do you think? And I told him what I thought. I was like, Hey, look, you know, it looked like you called it in. You kind of half-assed it to be honest with you. I'm glad that it worked. I'm surprised that it worked. I'm happy for you, (laughs) but it looked like you called it in. And then they got insulted. And I was just like, well, look, I understand that you're insulted by the comment. And I, I see how I could deliver that differently. But you asked me what I thought. I told you you half-assed it and let's be real for a second. You spent what, 20 minutes on it? And they're like, yeah. I was like, so why are you insulted for me pointing out the fact that you spent 20 minutes on something? Like that's an example of when the impatience will be crazy. Like maybe potentially jarring for people. (laughs) I would say potentially jarring is a good, yeah. But it is true. Like telling the truth is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you'd be a dick. It's true. 
I don't try to like just randomly go up to people. Ah, you, you, you're dressed like shit today. No, 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 no. There's a time and a place. But like, if you're asking, Hey, this is the work you want the real feed. Like, but if you're asking for yeah. feedback, if somebody says, what's your feedback and you're telling the truth, like if we're open for feedback, we have to be open for feedback. Exactly. And right now we live in this world where no one wants to offend anyone. And it's just like, one of the things that I'm a millennial, but I rant about millennials all the time because I hate them. And I hate them because everyone told them they were so good at their jobs all the time. And they, everyone got a trophy and all this stuff. And that now we live in this everyone gets a trophy world where all of a sudden, if you show any example of not being 100% nice, you're an ass. I actually give this example on, on a Facebook post recently where this new trend happens where someone will email me a rude and obnoxious comment. I usually ignore them, but sometimes I'm bored. I'll screw with them. I'll fire back an equally more rude, obnoxious comment to see their response. And then they'll double back and they'll be like, Oh my God, I can't believe how rude you are. And I'm just like, you were rude first. <laughs> Like this just happened the other day on Twitter. Someone hits me up and says some stuff like, you know, Derek, you're really half-assing your thumbnails on YouTube. You know, I would expect more from an eight figure CEO. You should put more effort into that. And I'm just like, this is the comment on Twitter. And I'm just like, what? Why would a CEO look at his stupid thumbnails? One and two. So I retweeted him. I was like, Hey, I find it interesting that a digital media, like it was a digital media consultant, follows 2,000 people but only has 500 people who follow him. I would expect a digital media consultant to have more followers. Now, please read my feedback, although 100% true, and see how you take that feedback because that's how your feedback was received over here. Everyone laughs, laughs, laughs. Someone then emails me, not even like messaged me, Derek, I want to let you know that you retweeted him. That was inappropriate. It wasn't nice. You were a dick. And I was just like, no, actually he was the dick. I just came to his level to have some fun. Well, and if people follow you, you know, I, I think that that's like who I'm not saying you're a dick, but like the controversy piece it's is a yeah. huge piece of who you are. Yes. Like you're just like stirring it up. And so people yeah. have to know that if they're going to come at you with, you know, negative feedback or constructive criticism or whatever, like <laughs> they might you better be right. There's some people that give me good, like, you know, they'll give me criticism and I'll be like, you know what? You're right. I'm okay with saying someone's right. I don't always just try to skewer the messenger, but you're going to come at me with something stupid. You better be prepared to defend it. Like there was like two years ago, someone hits me up with some comments. So basically I retweeted some author like five years ago. Remember you asked oh, about that. I saw this whole thing. Which I one? Exactly you're talking about. I think. Oh, Continue okay, so I, I retweeted some author like five years ago. This author three years ago went on to say some crazy stuff. And then I then have like 30 people messaging me saying, I can't believe you support this author, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, well, you, you tweeted them and you said you liked their work. I was like, yeah, that was five years ago. They said crazy stuff two years ago. And now you have 30 people emailing me and emailing everyone I know trying to CC them. And I'm like, you know what? Let's just get down to this. Like, I see what you're doing. I don't like it. 
I think you're witch hunting, but I'll happily have a public debate with you so I could show the whole world how stupid you really are. You know, obviously it's like, oh, oh my God, he said that. That's a little inappropriate. Well, whatever. We scheduled it. She didn't show up. We scheduled it again. She didn't show up. We scheduled it again. She didn't show up. I send one more email. I'm glad to know that you are just as stupid as I thought you were and never heard from the person again. Now, in this case, I was being a dick, but they were being a dick by emailing me and CCing all these people trying to say some nonsense. And then when given the opportunity to have a public debate, they back down. Yeah. So it's just like, I'm not gonna ever fold to some, some nonsense like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, and I love that the invitation was out there. Like, let's talk about it in public because yeah. then, then you're not hiding anything. Yeah. It comes back right to the beginning of our conversation. This is really about transparency. It's like, you know, tell me what's in your product, come in public, talk about your opinions. Like, let's put it all out there. Talk to me as though we're standing in front of each other, you know, not using the internet as a mask so that you can like. To dehumanize people. People use the internet as a way to dehumanize people. Yeah. Right. You know, I watched a Marie TV with Brene Brown talking about her book, Braving the Wilderness, where she talked about the way that we dehumanize people and how it allows us and how shaming people does that and how it allows us to then really be violent and create all this separation in the world. And so yeah. I think you're so right about the transparency piece that it really does bring people together, even though it's incredibly uncomfortable. Yes, <laughs> it does. I mean, that's just one of the things that I, I also believe, like, why are we doing things behind closed doors? If you believe it, just, just say it. Yeah. And these people, as an example, it's very easy for people to come at you with a sword and then they expect you to respond with the shield. But if you follow back with a sword, they all of a sudden are like, wait a second, I'm the victim. It's like, no, you're not. You, you came at me first. <laughs> That's a really interesting perspective. I mean, when people leave nasty stuff on my stuff, A, I never read the emails that come in, so I never even know. But B, if it's on social media, I just like ignore it or delete it. And I always read your stuff and I think it's hysterical because you're, you're so different than I am. Like I would never come back with somebody for a rude comment, but it's like, it's, I really enjoy watching you do it because it's, it's like this sideways satisfaction that I get that someone is. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, like, is there, I feel like because <laughs> Derek just moved his camera to, the, to his desk. He's done looking at us. <laughs> I feel like because when I think of your philosophies, I guess, and, and not your philosophies, but the way you run your business, I always feel it's very calculated to a certain degree because you're very, I mean, I heard you talk when you talked in Maine, back in your early beginning of your speaking career. And I have a question about that if we still have time left, but do you also do this just to be like, I want to get, see what the people's responses are? No, I'll tell you why I do it. People think about the response. I want to see the responses. That's fun for me. I do it and then share it. And I tell, they ask me, why do you do that, Derek? It shows weakness. I'm like, no, it doesn't. It's like spreading coyote urine in the backyard. It keeps the deers away. I share this. It's preventative. It, it's my, this resharing stupid people and me being obnoxious to them. That's my coyote urine. I love that so much. I like that. That's awesome. So it is calculated. Do you do this in front of your apartment in New York? You have coyote urine on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you can it's, it's, actually, for those who don't have access to coyote urine, 
you can just pee your own perimeter if you're a man and it will keep the pests away. Is that true? Yeah. This yeah. is a side garden. I always tip. needed a good reason to pee outside. And now I've got it. Now you have it. Now should you, it. should you plant a flower garden or some real succulents? You, you can pee your own perimeter. You don't need to get the coyote. Yeah. How often do you have to pee your own perimeter? So you'd have to Google that. Okay. <laughs> this sounds like something great that I'm going to quote. As the, what are you doing? It's like a pee in a perimeter. What? Just use a toilet. Nope. Got to keep the pests away. Like who? Ah, like the mailman. He gets too close to my lawn. <laughs> I think it only works for like wild animals. You ever smell rotting pee? I don't go into that bathroom. Okay, no. good point. It's disgusting. <laughs> good. You ever go point. to the Penn Station bathroom? Oh, it's oh. awful at Penn Station on so many levels. I try yeah. to never go there. Men, men's bathrooms are the most disgusting place. Public places out of control. So our, I dropped a phone in a toilet in a public oh. restroom once. I left it there. I yeah, didn't no, go totally. <laughs> Goodbye. I was in a restaurant. We went out to eat the other day at a date, and I walk in. There's men's labeled men, men, women, women. And I go in the men's, and I, like, lift up the seat, and it's all wet. I'm like, are you kidding? I didn't even notice it. I'm like, can't even fucking lift up the seat. There's even a little Disgusting. lever. First, your first mistake is not using your foot to lift that seat up. I, I discovered the that. The second thing is... We're all wet. You know there was a big thing about men's and women's bathrooms last year. I've been in women's bathrooms. It's dirtier than the men's bathroom. And I asked, no. I, asked my, I asked my girl why. I know the answer. Because women squat, they don't yes. want to sit on the seat. So right. then they just spray everywhere and they don't clean up after themselves. They, they don't have practice aiming. So it's literally everywhere. It but makes men, sense. Women's get sprayed everywhere anyway. Yeah, but that's because men are assholes. They're usually looking at their phone, <laughs> not looking where they're peeing. And then all of a sudden they'll start laughing and start spraying everywhere. <laughs> They'll see some stupid meme and they'll giggle like their friend from college did something stupid again. And then all of a sudden you have pee on the wall. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So this is your I, last question. I have two more questions. Okay. Two more questions. Maybe one. Yeah. I have two, yeah. Two more. What would you say your greatest strength is? My greatest strength is probably the fact that if I make a commitment to something back to the vlog, if I say I'm going to do a video every day, it's getting done every day. There's zero chance of it not happening. And I think nowadays there are a lot of people who are accustomed to setting a goal or an intention. And then when that intention comes, they push it off. They give themselves time. They do it. Now, of course, there are true extenuating circumstances, but there are almost zero of them. And that's the mindset that I have about goals or intentions. If I have that goal, I am hitting that goal at the time that I say I'm going to hit that goal. The only way I'm not hitting that goal is if I'm dead. And that's a Will Smith quote. Will Smith had this great speech where he's like, look, I know one thing. If we both get on a treadmill and we're walking, you're getting off that treadmill first. And the only way that's not, ha the only way that's not happening is if I'm dead. That's the way I approach life, right? If I set an intention or a goal, I'm going to have that happen. There's no, there's no excuse. Like short of like maybe one, of, one out of a million things. There's no reason for it otherwise. That's probably the strength. And then what about, let's say, take your vlog, for example. What if it just, like, do you listen to yourself about saying, like, I'm ready to be done with this and I have to end it? Or would you rather, like, if you're six months in and you're becoming miserable shooting your vlog, are you going to stick it through to say, well, I said I'm going to do this all year, so I'm going to push through till the end of the year? Well, it's not about, that's a mistake as well. However, if you're truly done with it, 
I do think you should stop it. However, people start to feel done with things too soon. And this is something that happened to me and Mark when we were doing the daily video right around the third week. We're like, this is fucking horrible. It's horrible. And we're like, this is a mistake. We're not getting as many views as we want. We're not going to do it, blah, blah, blah. Like, wanted to quit there. At that moment, I could have easily convinced myself that this was a waste of time. But it's not about running the first time you're upset, right? It's about knowing that it's truly not working. So if you're doing something and it's truly not working, you need to change the way you're doing it to get the results you want, or you should stop it. So for right now, our goal with our vlog, if you go to youtube.com slash social triggers, you'll see that we put up a video every day. We get maybe a thousand views, 2000 views. Some videos get 8,000 views, but mainly about a thousand views a day. People are like, why are you not promoting it? Well, it's like right now, actually the first three months is really learning how to create a video every day. I'll worry about the promotion later. Right now I have to learn how to keep this habit right. Then I'll learn about, so like I could easily say that this is stressful. I can't believe the views, you know, and it's not working. I quit, but we also haven't put any time into promoting the daily vlog yet. It's really only been about creating the vlog because we need to learn how to create. I guess the, the answer is you should never continue doing something if you know that it's absolutely not working, but you have to be honest with yourself on whether you're just not hitting a hard point in the growth path and you're running for away from the first obstacle or if it's truly not working. So if you're running a business for three years and you have zero success with that business, you should go get a job because it's three years. I've never started a business and not made money within 12 months. Like I've made a lot of money usually within one year of starting all my businesses. If you're doing something for three years, it's time to change or give up. Honestly, if you're doing something for three minutes, and you're upset that you didn't have instant success overnight and that you just graduated college and people are offering you $50,000 a year and you think you deserve $200,000 a year because you have a four-year degree, I'm going to tell you to go screw yourself. You know, go get a minimum wage job for 10 years because you may be qualified for more than that minimum wage job and that's fine. Your mind is screwed and you need some uh, humbling. Hmm. Hmm. And then building off that to back to your part you made about social triggers, where you said you bought the domain, you started in, you bought it in 2007, right? Nine. 2009 started in 2011. And you said your biggest regret has been not starting it in 2009 when you had the idea. Yep. Do you think maybe like you had to wait two years for the thing to fully process? Or did you know, like from the get go, like 2000, like there's a, what's the phrase where it's when the timing's right or there's something along where the timing has to be like the idea could be happening, but not a hundred percent ready to come into action for two yeah. years. It was definitely ready. It was ready. There's no, and I, so here's the other thing. This is actually Marie Forleo quote, a mutual friend of ours. So she actually was on one of my videos maybe five years ago. Now and she said a great quote, clarity comes from action, not from thought. This is a hundred percent true with ideas, right? A lot of people, when you have an idea sitting on that idea for two years is always a mistake. You got to get that idea out into the world and start getting real feedback from people. And then the clarity will come from the ongoing action that comes from building the idea. So if you have an idea, there's no reason to sit on that idea. You should get it out into the world, start talking about it, whatever you're going to have to do. Talk about the idea, get it onto a website, get feedback from real people. Don't ask your mom. Don't ask your friends. 
Your friends are, they already like you, right? Your friend says, your mom says you're a good singer. I heard you sing, you're bad, right? Go and put it into the world, get real feedback from people, and then get better. I love it. Okay, I have one last question. Okay. Do you think there's hope for humanity, Derek? You already know the answer to that question. <laughs> I don't even know what you Look, mean. I want there to be hope for humanity. I know what you're, I know what you're leading to because I'm very negative. Yeah. Uh, I want there to be hope Clear. for everyone, but if we keep pushing forward this – this mindset that it's okay to be bad, failure is cool, and we start really promoting this sort of stuff. I mean, what's that quote from one of those sports people? I don't know his name, but like, you know, if you show me someone who likes losing and I will show you a loser. And if we keep propping up the people who fail and like failure's good, it's like, maybe it's not so good. Maybe failing stinks. Maybe doing a subpar job at your work is not a good idea. Maybe coming to work 10 minutes late and leaving 10 minutes early means you deserve to be fired, right? Maybe these things need to happen. And it's definitely not popular, especially now where we live in a very understanding world. And I, I'm all for understanding. I believe in understanding and everything like that. But I, I think we're taking it too easy on people, right? And if we don't start taking it a little bit harder on people, I do worry for the future. I mean, I have so much ideas about parenting and I don't even have kids yet. And I've seen the results of angry parents on my Facebook feed and I'm concerned for their children, but you can't tell them that. No, it's tough to give parenting advice when you don't have kids, but, but I do appreciate that you do it anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I wasn't even giving parenting advice. Do you know what I'm talking about right now? That I totally know yeah. what you're talking about. About the iPad. Derek was just commenting on iPads with kids at dinner. And I have to say, now having a child, like it would be so much easier to just give her a device every time we go out to eat. Of but course. we don't because I really want a kid who knows how to be present. You know what? And that's all I'm saying, right? So that whole with no one read in my actual update was yep. that iPad at dinner in a restaurant that's dark and is blaring out. That is always inappropriate. Totally. A hundred percent. That said, do I understand why they gave the kid the iPad? Of course I do. Sometimes being a parent's hard. You need a break. You maybe can't afford a babysitter. You want to, you have to take the kid. You give the, the technical babysitter to the kid, right? I get it but it doesn't mean it's okay. And right now I feel like we live in a world where people do things that deep down in their heart, their soul, they know what they're doing is inappropriate, but they justify it because it's convenient for themselves. And that is where my commenting was coming into play. And, but they didn't hear any of that. They just heard, Oh my God, you said a parent can't, what do you know about kids? It's like, well, I know that you should never have an iPad at dinner. That's what I know. It's tough. It's really, yeah. No, I mean, thousands I, of years. I agree with you. It's tough. And I just, I find you refreshing. We're so, we could, we literally could not be more different. And I find you refreshing and hilarious. <laughs> thank thank you, you so much for coming on our show. People should obviously go to social triggers to find you. And then Truvani life as well. Yes. Uh, you should yeah. write the book. You should write the parenting book. The parenting book for... 
it should be something like i don't know what the title would be but it's like parenting for people that without children or it's like yeah how to parent kids from coming from people that don't have kids i think that would I'll be hilarious kids. i'll have kids eventually in my life yeah. when i do the first thing that i'm going to do is take a picture and i already i already planned it out i want two kids right okay. i want a picture of me the lady the two kids it's going to start, maybe it'll be a video. It'll start zooming in on the kids, holding a book, reading. It'll quickly zoom up to me holding an iPad. And I'm just going to put it at the top, not my kids. <laughs> that, that's going to be the introduction of Derek being the parent to the world. Not my kids. Right? They're not having any tech. I'm going to have tech. All They're going to have no tech. Is, I'll tell you what, it's, I don't know. Have you spent a lot of time with kids? Yeah, of course. All my friends are starting to pop them out right, right now. Right. It's just, it's amazing to just sit back and watch. Like yeah. this is where your impatience would have to be put to the side. But it's just like from a research perspective, Derek. Yeah, so it's just like to watch them, how they interact, like to give them a device and to see how fast it's addicting, it's you know, and realize like what we're doing, but then even just watch how they interact in the world, how they interact with these other things. And just we, I agree. But the, the thing is, is that that's not interesting to me. You know, what, what's interesting is I, I know kids get addicted to tech. That's not my concern. My concern is bad parenting. A lot yeah. of people out there have kids. They think that they're good parents because they have kids, but I have a guitar. I'm not good at playing the guitar. Listening to me play the guitar is horrible. So like the other, I know we're supposed to end this, but the other day I'm on the subway. This is, I almost got in trouble again. I'm on the subway. This kid is having a fit. All right. Kids have fits. Yeah. The parent is being a bad parent. Why? Because the kid is trying to put his feet on, on the chair. He's like a three or four year old trying to put his feet on the chair. The parent pushes his feet down, tries to put his feet on the chair, pushes his feet down. Kids screaming, kids now clawing at her. He pushed the hand away. And I'm just sitting here thinking like, you can't meet force with opposite force when you're dealing with someone who doesn't have logic or reason. Mm -hmm. It's so true. You have to distract them. So the first thing I do is like all of a sudden the kid's having a fit and I just like snap up at the top. And I'm looking at the ceiling and I'm like pointing up. The kid just quiets down, starts looking at the ceiling too. And I'm like, do you see that? Kid quiets down, right? This is what parents need to do, right? They need to know how to deal with, with humans and most of them don't. And they think they do because they have one. But like, that was a perfect example of what I consider bad parenting when all she had to do was distract the kid versus try to fight the kid. Redirect. Yeah. And then it's, it's like be present and redirect. I mean, I'm reading, um, Shafali, Dr. Shafali Sabari's book right now called conscious parenting. She's fascinating. She's, She's a good amazing. person to talk to. I'll, I'm going to read it. I, I read parenting books. That's one uh, of the, I love it. she's the best. Well, that's what best out even there. Tim Ferriss recommended that dog training book about how to deal with humans. Like the book wait, he learned who, huh? Wait, what he did. Yeah. I'll send you the, I have it downstairs. Um, I'm happy to hear he did that because I've been trying to talk about that forever. He said that he learned how to train his dog and he learned this before he actually got the dog, but it was about, he read this book and talked to this woman. And he said it was fantastic on how to deal with human behavior as well. We are animals. That's true. I mean, but she talked about like in the first couple chapters, it's all about, it's more, it's not about parenting. It's about dealing with ourselves. Yeah. You know? And that's what it comes with your it's dealing with our own self. And that's the biggest thing I've learned with even just having a daughter. It's 
it's, I went to this appointment I had last week and I was just talking about the biggest lessons Penelope have taught me where it's not like me trying to teach Penelope anything. It's like, what is she teaching me that I know I'm having a lack in my own self about? Yeah, of course. Right. And there's going to be a lot, right? You can't be perfect all the time. Right. But at the end of the day, the dog training, one of the best rules of dog training is you never reward bad behavior, right? A reward is not just a treat. A reward is attention. A reward is a pet. A reward is picking up the dog. A reward is touching the dog. A reward is making eye contact with the dog, right? Kids are very similar where if they're doing something bad, you can't reward them by touching them, by looking at them, by paying them. You have to either redirect or don't reward. And that's kind of how you get, I feel like that's why people get bratty kids. But I'm open to be proved wrong when I have kids one day. I am so interested. You're going to come back when you have kids and we're going to have a whole parenting talk. This is great. Anyway, thank you so much. This was really fun. Thank you for having me. It was fun. You're great. Appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) Ever feel like you're constantly doing things, but aren't able to carve out the time or energy for the things that really matter to you. Mike and I want to share our top five tools for making a life, not just a living. To learn what they are, go to katenorthrup.com forward slash tools. See you on the next episode.